Picture this. The journey ahead starts here together, and together we can build a brighter future. You are listening to Illuminating Hope, a podcast of Hope House. Welcome to Illuminating Hope Podcast. My name is Tina Johnson. I'm the Community Partnership Manager at Hope House. I'm here with my co-host, Marianne Matheny, CEO of Hope House, and we are delighted to introduce to you Dana Wright. Dana Wright is half of the hit talk show radio program, Dana and Parks, on KMBZ Radio in Kansas City. She began her radio career in 2011 after a 17-year career as a television news anchor and reporter. Throughout her broadcasting career, Dana has covered thousands of stories important to the community. Dana is passionate about using the airwaves to promote ideas and dialogue among women, minorities, and anyone else out there who feels like they've never had a voice. In 2020, she launched MyLegacyRecording.com to secure broadcasting quality audio histories of our aging parents, grandparents, farmers, and veterans. Dana is married to veteran KMBC 9 TV news anchor Chris Katz. Together, they have seven children. Dana is a proud alumni of the University of Kansas School of Journalism. She is an avid golfer and recently carded her third hole-in-one. Hello, Dana Wright. Welcome to Illuminating Hope Podcast. You have been in broadcasting for 27 years. Here we go. I know, and I'm used to being on the other side of the microphone, but I am so honored today to be here as your guest for your podcast with Marianne Matheny that we work with all the time on a variety of stories. And so thank you guys for both having me here today. I love it. The pleasure is definitely all ours. Can't wait to dive into the show. So let me ask you this, being in the media, what are some things that you hear about domestic violence? One of the things, Tina, that we have heard on our program on Dana and Parks over the years is there's still this stigma somehow that this is the woman's fault or this is a socioeconomic issue, that this happens to poor women or uneducated women or... Uh, women who could have left or tried to leave and didn't, so why wouldn't you just leave? And I think, you know, there's an education component, not just with our listeners, that, that we feel an obligation to talk about these stories, but I think with our daughters and I think with our sons that you really get people to understand that it's not as simple as just getting up and leaving. Okay, where do you go? Um, There are women who are abused who don't have a family support system, who don't have an economic support system. And so it's sort of like saying, you know, people will look at the homeless and go, well, get a job. Well, it, it is so much more complex than that. There are transportation issues. There are, you know, and it's the same thing with domestic violence survivors. Why don't you just leave is so easy for someone to say. And I think in reality, and you know this, um, you've seen this time and time again, it is a very, very difficult position to be in, especially if there are children involved. The barriers are just limitless. You know, and when somebody comes to you and they say, I think I may be living with an abuser, what do you do? What can you do? First of all, you need to believe them. But always having resources for them, I think that's key. Always having resources, always having facts for them. But a domestic violence victim does have to make that choice. 
to leave. But there is also a thing called post-separation abuse. 75% of the murder-suicides or murders that happen to domestic violence victims are post-separation. Yeah. Or, or when she as does leave. trying to leave. Yes. And is it true that the average survivor tries to leave, is it six times or seven times? Seven, seven times. Seven times mm-hmm. before they actually go. Um, and so think about that. I, I remember once we heard a woman give a speech through my um, women's group I was involved in, and she talked about the physician on her honeymoon in Paris who was the woman who said, oh, my God, that would never happen to me. Like, this would just never happen to me. I would never be in that situation. And the first time he abused her was on their honeymoon in Paris. And she said, we're married. We're on our honeymoon. What is happening? And it took years for her to leave that situation because of the embarrassment. Right. You know, I'm a doctor. Why? Like, how is this happening to me? There's shame involved. Shame is huge. And and people don't want to talk about it because I should have known better. I should have done this. I should have done that. Lots and lots of things that go on. And as you were saying, go on in their head about how it's their fault. But what if we changed the narrative? What if we said, rather than asking, why doesn't she or he leave? Why don't we ask the question, why does he continue to abuse? Let's shift the focus to the perpetrator of the violence and look at what's going on with that person and saying, if it's so horrible and it's so miserable for you, why don't you leave? Why are you staying in that relationship? Let's change the narrative and really look at it from that perspective because we could sit here all day and talk about why someone doesn't leave a relationship. There are thousands of reasons why someone doesn't leave, but let's talk about, okay, this person clearly isn't happy, clearly is not okay with their relationship. Or had abuse in their own life growing up and and saw this growing up. What's interesting, you just brought that up. We do that with other crimes. Let's talk about the police chase. Yes, we do. Police are chasing in various cities over minor infractions, and then the driver of that car kills an innocent person. And we will scream, why don't we change the policy? We need to be asking about the policy. Why, why do we have these chase policies over a blinker that was misused before a stoplight? 90% of our male audience will say, well, that's on the person who fled. Why is he running? But with domestic violence, it's different. We bring it back to the woman, and why is that? Right. In our society, there are really two crimes that happen where the victim gets blamed. That's rape, rape. and domestic violence. Yeah. Yeah. We don't talk about what the person who's perpetrating, what drives that person and why. We always are looking at blaming the victim. You know, we could talk for hours about why that is too, but yeah. again, our society is very victim blaming. We're very, very victim blaming. Especially when it's When a it woman. comes to women being the victim. And I also think it goes back to the erroneous thought that, well, I would not have that happen to me. That would never happen to me. Well, until you're in the situation. I know you've helped survivors over the years who were that woman, the successful, has everything together, has the white picket fence that said that's never going to happen to me. You know, and then here we are. Absolutely. 22 years ago, I made the call to Hope House and it was my life-saving call, mine and my three children. And here we are today talking about my what was your hump what was your hump that you finally got over for that moment with your children that it was like this is it this is the moment that I leave and I I go ask for help I think it was that moment when I touched my face and when I was looking in the mirror and I could not feel my face I didn't know who was staring back at me and then I things started coming together slowly but surely as I started talking to people because I did go talk to people within my church and it was God hates divorce that kind of reaction so I felt like I would be shamed if I left my husband but I started to realize when he put each one of my children up against the wall for headshots and myself 
He's planning something. He's planning something. He can take headshots, meaning like to take like a passport photo. To take like a passport photo, but long story short, they found a strong box in a car he rented and all of our information were in that strong box. So had I not made that call time, my children and I would have been dead. So I made the call to Hope House just at the right time for them to lead and guide me to safety and make me understand. And I think it had to do a lot with my children. Oh, sure. I didn't have any self-worth left. It was gone. So by the time I was realizing the danger, my children children were in was the time I knew it was time to make that call. That brings me to what happened to you because I see a lot of parallels between you. Now you're not a domestic violence survivor in that respect of a relationship, but you have experienced threats and violence and perpetrators coming after you because of what you do for a living. Can yeah, we talk about that? I do because I think there are so many women around the country in broadcasting and really any woman with a voice. If you look at female judges, if you look at female prosecutors, they will tell you the same thing that like the level of threats that you put up with and over the years just kind of shrug it off and think, well, that's part of the job. The level of threats against women are just so out of whack disproportionate to what our male colleagues receive. And all of my male colleagues will tell you that they agree with that. They're like, I don't know what it is. Dana gets nine out of 10 of them. And every once in a while, something will come in, you know, threatening to harm one of my male colleagues. But it is just by far disproportionate when it comes to women with a voice. And I will tell you that I've been doing this 27 years. And when I was in television, it was more you would get a stalker here or there, someone that was very interested in meeting you or kind of bizarre behavior like that. But really looking back, not a ton of things that really made me fear for my life in the way that I did when I moved over to radio. Because when I switched over 11 years ago to News Talk, I was a very lone female voice in a sea of what is a male-dominated industry, right? And so I remember when they asked me to come over and take that job, I thought, gosh, that's like... I called it old, angry, white guy radio, where there were just men (laughs) screaming on the air all the time about... I don't know, Ronald Reagan or something. And I remember saying to my on-air partner, Scott, like, what do you want me to do? Like, this is just, I heard this show and it's a lot of yelling and I don't want to talk about politics. And at the time the thinking was, and it was correct, that if we bring more women into broadcasting, more women will listen to talk radio. And so all of these women now come out of the woodwork and say, I never listened to talk radio. And now I do because you're talking about education and domestic violence and Supreme Court decisions. And it's not a bunch of yelling about things going on in Washington. I don't even follow that stuff. So it was a very successful model for our station and we've had a lot of success with it. But with that, very early on came this rage. Um, I remember very early on the rage associated with hearing a woman's opinion on the radio. And it was just something that I remember Scott saying to me, my my honor partner, Scott Parks, you need to grow thick skin. You need to grow very thick skin. And I, looking back, I wish I could say to my younger self, like, there's no job you should have where it is okay that people are threatening your life. 100%. Like, if you're 100%. a plumber and you're listening, like, it's not okay that someone would threaten your life at the end of the day. But somehow in broadcasting, 
for all of these years, we would just shrug this off as part of the job. So it kind of was really bad in the beginning. You know, someone would write in and say, you want to talk about guns? Why don't you come to my door and see what happens if you try to take my gun? Just very kind of thinly veiled threats. And I'm like, I'm not here to take your gun, sir. I don't, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, that's not my point. Right. I, I would prefer my children go to school and not feel like they're ducking under their desks every day out of fear for their lives. And I think we need to have a national conversation about guns. But they would hear when I would say that, you're coming to take my guns. And because of that, I want to kill you. So this kind of went on over the years. And then I stopped reading our text line. And the texts come in thousands and thousands per day. And so many of them were threatening and harmful in a way that, like, it started affecting my mental health. Like, I would have anxiety about it. And this ratcheted up over the last couple of years. We had people show up at the station. And it's interesting if you look back at what makes men, it's always men, so angry about the topics that we are discussing discussing during the day, it's never what you think it is. You know, we're not talking about abortion or religion or even guns anymore or women's reproductive rights, which God knows I could go on for hours about that. <laughs> the things that would set these men off were head scratchers. One of them was a conversation about railroad supply chain issues. And someone showed up in our parking lot angry about the fact we were discussing this strike that was going to affect supply chain issues if the railroad struck. Um, it's never what you think it is that's going to set somebody off. So then I start, you know, my head's on a swivel. We had three or four people show up at the station. How do you know when they show up that they are looking for you? They, they, that they, would, are the... they would make a beeline for my car, yelling my name. What's your, what's your mode of operation at that point? Yeah. So the mode of operation at that point was we need security. And right. this is ridiculous. I can't believe we're discussing this. This was about the railroads, but we need police in, in the lot now. There are so many broadcasters in around the country that will tell you we've put up with this for years and never viewed it as what is going on with these men. These men need to be prosecuted. We need to be talking about these men threatening us in broadcasting. We would just shrug it off as like, well, I mean, yeah, we got another crazy out in the parking lot. And I, in any other profession, would you, would you say that? And of course the no. answer is no. no. So the station was great, and we now have, I have security walking out to my car. And, you know, the sports guys used to walk me out. And I remember saying to the sports guys, it's not your job to get me to my car. Like, why? I cannot believe we're living in this world. So this kind of had ratcheted up in the last couple of years. I do think it got much worse after January 6th. I think there was a lot of rage. There's still a lot of rage. The insurrection. Yep. In, in Missouri, we had a disproportionate amount of people from Missouri that went into that Capitol building. We didn't talk about it a ton on our program, but I'll tell you the anger and the rhetoric got way worse after January 6th. And so fast forward to a few months ago, I got a death threat in March and it was a 49 year old man from Independence and we immediately filed a police report. He was arrested. He was charged with making a felony criminal threat. And there needs to be more of these cases out there. And what I found, the Kansas City started a, a great article about it. I started speaking out about it. It used to be, it wasn't shame or embarrassment, Marianne, but it was just like, I couldn't imagine talking about it. And then once I talked about it, women came out of the woodwork. Indeed, they do. Who have been in this industry, print, a lot of newspaper women, 
Dana, thank you for talking about this. And I'm looking back, scratching my head, wondering why haven't we all been charging these people over the years? And so if I can use my voice for that, I will scream about it all day long. He is charged with felony criminal threat, goes to court here in a couple weeks. He spent several evenings as a guest in the Johnson County Jail, had to wear an ankle monitor, was not allowed within a couple of miles of where I work or where I live, like all of those things, because why are we treating that man any differently than we would treat anyone that threatens someone's life. And so it stops now with me. If that has to be the last thing I do on my way out after a career that I have loved, I will scream about this every single day. Uh, And I will be there in court to face him because I want to say to him, he texted in the threat. He was angry over my pronunciation of a town in Canada I had never heard of. That's what prompted the death threat. It was my mispronunciation of Regina, Canada. That's what prompted the threat. And I can't even read it on the podcast. The words were so vile, you know, C-bomb and, and all, all of the words that the big bad words that you would call a woman. And I want to be there in court and say it to my face. I've said this over and over again. There's this keyboard cowboy warrior macho thing going on in America right now, where would you say those words to your mom or to your sister or someone's sister? I probably sat next to this guy at Chiefs game. He's my age. We're both 49 years old. Would you say that to my face in an elevator? And of course the answer is 99% of the time. No. The answer is no. no. But it's okay for you to write those things. You know, he, he doesn't have a lengthy criminal history. There's some alcohol issues, I think, in his background. Sorry for that. Not your problem. Not my problem. Not your problem. Not my problem. No. I was drunk. I was angry. Like, I don't know what That's he's going to say in court. That's never an excuse for but violence. I am looking forward to seeing him in court. Absolutely. Well, I think as you're talking, what comes to me is that whole basis of the silence yep. that you all experience. And, and that's very similar to what survivors of domestic violence experience is that silence. But I think it's also, one, people need to be aware. So you talking is educating. I didn't know how much violence was happening to women in, in media. That's That needs to be explored. But it's also, we as society have to, we have got to put our foot down and say, this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable that women go to work mm-hmm. and they receive death threats because of things that they are doing in their job that have absolutely nothing to do with the people that, that are threatening their lives. Never met this person in my life. Right. What's interesting, Marianne, is, and I, I think, Any woman listening to this podcast will understand this. Women disagree passionately sometimes. And women will say, let's let's say we're talking about the banning of a book in a public library. Okay. Women can disagree. And women will say, Dana, I disagree with you. And here's why. I think this and I think that and I think that. And we're just going to have to agree to disagree. A man will say, blank you, you blanking blank. It just goes immediately to this rage with with the abusers that are writing in. I don't want to say all men. We have so many great men who listen right. and will say, Dana, I disagree with you. So I also want to ask, like, societally, where does that come from where a woman that is disagreeing with you that you've never met is the one that ratchets your life from a normal guy living in independence to now you're in the Johnson County Jail over right. the pronunciation of a town in Canada? I mean, that that is what is going on in that individual's life that that is where you went when you were listening to our program. And, and and then you have to ask, is this the first time you have ever exploded at a woman? I, I would find that hard to believe. I would find it very hard to believe that someone that would use language like that 
has not used language like that before. And so why is Dana the enemy? What is going on in your life that you are so angry that that was your solution in that moment over something so stupid? And I, I think too, as we're talking about the similarities there, you know, we can we can talk about the characteristics of an abuser, and and we do talk mostly around men being abusers and women being the victims. That's not always the case. We surely uh, we offer services to both. Sure. To to all anyone who's a who's been um, impacted by domestic violence, we will work with them. Um, no matter what your age, no matter what your gender, how you identify. we. But I do think that we have to talk about what are those things that seem... People are reacting much more severely and much quicker than what used to happen. Correct. And we saw that during the pandemic. During the pandemic, the abuse that people were experiencing was off the charts. Because we were locked off inside. We were, right. all, we were all home. Right. You didn't have that eight-hour respite right. where you could go to work. Right. We were all home together. And so that, that abuse intensified. So I do think we have to, I mean, I think people really need to understand what is behind those perpetrators and what's causing that, because we do need to put the responsibility on them. And you can tell me that someone has experienced violence as a child and they have, you know, all of these reasons why they may be abusing now, but my stance has always been, you're an adult. Yeah. You are an adult now, and it's time for you to take responsibility for your behaviors. If you experienced abuse as a child, if you experienced trauma, then let's go get some some services to help you address those. But being violent in return or is not the answer. So I don't know what, what your perpetrator, what happened to that person, but it's it would be his responsibility to take care of whatever that is. Yeah. It's not your responsibility. You didn't have anything to do with what yeah. that. And I guess that's where I get so frustrated is people want to explain away like why people do things. And I think it's important to understand why people do things, but I think it's also important that we say those things may have happened. Yes. Yeah. However, you are now an adult, and it's now your responsibility to be a law-abiding citizen, and you don't get to repeat what happened to you. When there is an excuse, what is the excuse? I'm curious, because you've heard them all. When somebody actually takes responsibility, what is the reason they say, I'm striking a woman, or I'm striking a child? What? what not, not that there's any reason that makes sense. What do they say? I think there's what you said is they take responsibility. I don't think they're taking responsibility. No. When they're offering their excuses... They've been caught. They've been caught. They're not offering... They're not saying, oh my gosh, I am responsible for what I just did. They may at some point, if they're getting services and getting help, they may do that. But what they're saying, and Tina will be able to tell you more you know, more personal ones if she chooses to, but I've heard things like, well, you made peas for dinner and I didn't want peas. I wanted a hot dinner and you didn't have it on the table when I came home. You wore a skirt that I didn't like. Yeah. Things that kind of like you mispronounced the name of a town in Canada. It doesn't make any sense of what that last or, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back kind yeah. of thing. Um, they don't make sense because they are just excuses. Yes. And then it puts the victim on high the, alert. The high alert and the, the defensive. Oh, my gosh, I should have dinner on the table now and I should wear this and I should do this. And then you're spinning your wheels because there's nothing you can do to change that person's behavior. Absolutely right? nothing you can do. I know if the dinner was too hot or too cold, it got thrown on me and the children. He would just clear the table and expect me to get up, clean it up, and get him something that he really wanted to eat. Are we seeing other women come forward as friends and colleagues in a way maybe that we didn't used to with all of the education we have now so that if you are going 
on a girl's night out and your partner randomly shows up and is staring at you from across the room, are other women starting to stand up and say, now, wait a minute, that's troubling. That's a red flag. I think it depends on the on the people. I do think that we are talking about domestic violence a lot more and that we also are seeing more men holding other men accountable Good. for their behavior because that's important too. That's huge. But I do think it, it kind of depends on how much. If you haven't been talking about it and you don't really know anything about it, then maybe you, won't, you wouldn't be able to do that. But if you... The more we do, the more our goal is to do more education and get more yeah. conversation out there so those conversations can happen. Because generationally, if you look back, when it was our parents and our grandparents, it was not illegal to strike your wife. I think it was Intervene. more in the early oh, 90s, I was wasn't say it? It was going to be in the late 80s or yeah. late 90s. Yeah. We're, we're, had already... we're finally, right. everybody got on the same page. Mm-hmm. This is not okay that, that, that they're married. Right. It's not okay. But right. you would see police back in the 70s and uh, I think even 80s say, well, this is a this is a family matter. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yep. And that same kind of denial that, that you experienced as a person in media receiving those threats. It's, again, as we have to talk about this stuff if we're going to ever bring an end to it. So I think what you're doing for all women in media is amazing. Um, and you have that voice and you're using your voice to be able to let other people know that they're not alone and that it's not okay. And it's not just the people in media that need to learn it. Like We all need to know this too so we can hold people accountable and that we can, when we hear those things, say, yeah. wait, wait a minute. Wait it's a not minute. okay if someone disagrees with you for them to threaten to kill you. Right. Uh, correct. Publicly. Right. Correct. Specifically. I mean, what are you doing, buddy? It, I mean. It just makes no practical common sense no yeah. sense no we could we could sit here and talk for hours about what's going on in someone else's head and there's no there's no there is no answer that's really yeah. at the end of the day there is nothing you're going to say that makes that okay and i don't care for everyone listening right now i don't care what it is you do professionally what it is you have going on in your personal life those threats are not okay and it's rooted in power and control yep any kind of domestic violence abuse stalking power and control when it comes to domestic violence you highlight it often, which we appreciate very much. It actually helps us in our organization. What is the public response to domestic violence? I think it's gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's more education. I think more people now, because of the education and the way our court system works, more people know someone or maybe know someone who knows someone. And that has helped, unfortunately, because of the numbers that has helped with education where, you know, maybe 20 years ago, the the man who would say, well, why didn't you just leave him, now has a daughter who has been threatened or now has a granddaughter who is fearful and and fear for her life and safety. And so I think that has changed attitudes a little bit. I, I think what people don't understand still is that there's a need for more space. We don't have shelter space and that this is not a Jackson County problem or a Cass County problem. This is very much a Johnson County problem. Uh, we're just better at hiding it in Johnson County. Right, right. And and I think there have been a couple of high profile cases over the years that, you know, been in the newspaper on the news where you're like, oh, man, she had her stuff together and lived in a fancy house in Leewood and and still ended up losing her life. And so I think we still have a long way to go with education where it comes to socioeconomics, that this this is not a problem that happens to poor women. Wealthier women might have might have more resources, resources. or education to get away, but not exclusively. And you That's see this true. where a lot of the abusers handle all of the finances. Right. 
So you don't have any money. You don't have control of the money. That's right. And there is that misconception that if you leave, then the money would go with you. Not guaranteed. Yeah. So. Not guaranteed at all, for sure. So uh, about the stalking, about the harassing in uh, with women in media, mm-hmm. what keeps you up at night? We have locked down our home. And I think over the years I've covered so much crime that some of that seeps into your mind in a way that's probably not healthy. But I am very careful at the house. The kids are careful. My husband is very, very aware of all of that stuff. And so, I mean, we, we live with cameras. We live with surveillance. We live with all of those things. We live with um, an alarm system. I have locks on interior doors. And I think that's not a normal way to live, but it makes me feel a little better. <laughs> right. Oh, right. for sure. Right? right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think it it does mess with your mind that your head's kind of on a swivel. And it, I think for all women, you should not have your head down on your cell phone when you're like going to the Target parking lot. Absolutely. We all need to be, be aware. aware of our surroundings. And that that's not just because of me and my job. That's, that's everybody. Everyone. That's everybody. But it's made me more aware. And I think all women should be more aware because these things can happen to anybody. And I think the beauty of you being a female is it's made your voice louder Yeah. for other females. Like, you know, we go out and we speak a lot on domestic violence. There's always one, two, three women that come up to talk to us after, regardless of how large the audience is. Yeah. Domestic violence in their life or their life of their kids or whomever. So I appreciate myself how loud your voice is. Thank so excited to have you here. I, I love talking to you and could do it for hours. So um, you always have such interesting things to say and what your perspective on things that you get exposed to things I don't on a regular basis. So I love just having this conversation. Well, so thank, thank you, you for having me. Thank You're you. going to have a very successful podcast and it's going to help. It's going to change lives because the more women that hear about it that need help, this is another way you can reach out to them. There is help out there if you need it and you're listening and this is resonating with you. Call the hotline. There is help out there for you and women standing by to help. And calling the hotline is not just when you're ready to leave. Do you have questions? Do you have questions because your adult child is in a a situation that you're not sure even how to handle? Call the hotline. That's why we're here.